0: Revive, it simply means to come back to life. How many of you are seeking to come back to life today? Amen. Today, uh, we have the privilege of studying the Bible together, and this is always a very humbling endeavor. To study the Word of Scripture is to, to study something, not just ink on paper, but it's to hear the very Word of God. And I don't take it very lightly. I know that people have bled over this. People have died over the privilege of being able to read this. And so many throughout the centuries have found that this is the voice of God to their soul. And so, um, I want us to pray together as we begin our study. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, today again, we are so thankful for every breath that you give us, every waking moment, this heartbeat, and the next. That's an act of grace on your part, God. Thank you that in Jesus we live and move and have our very existence. And Lord, now we want to use that so that we can, we, we can seek after you. We can hear from you and come to know you and be changed by you. And so Lord, as we're opening up the Bible today, we give you permission. We give you the green light to send us your Holy Spirit. You said that your spirit would guide us into all truth. And Lord, as we study about the spirit, we pray that we would be inspired by the spirit. As we open up these pages, please speak to our hearts. Overcome any weakness of ours, whether it's the weakness of our words, the weakness of our comprehension... Uh, the weakness of our fatigue, whatever, whatever burdens, whatever, Lord, anything that is standing between us and you, we pray that you would redeem us from that just now. And as we seek after you, we thank you in advance that you're going to prove true to your promise that those who seek for you and search for you with all their heart will find you. And so as we open up this Bible, please fulfill that promise, we pray in Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. amen, amen. Open your Bible with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're going to study together, and maybe you've already gotten into the habit of bringing paper with you or a notepad or something. But as we go through this passage, we are just going to zero in um, on the first 13 verses of Luke chapter 11. Now, today's message is entitled Receiving the Promise of the Spirit, Part 2. You may remember that the last time I got to share this pulpit, Uh, I had started a message called Receiving the Promise of the Spirit and realized that we were going a little too long and we needed to section it off into two parts. I wasn't able to continue at the next Sabbath, the first Sabbath of February I think that was, um, because I had to actually share in a funeral service for my uncle uh, in San Jose. So I want to thank Joe Barkley for stepping in last minute. Um, he, He definitely shared a message of his own personal testimony and faith and I was encouraged by that as I listened to the recording. But but here we are, we've been going through a a series. We started several weeks ago, the promise of the Father. We realize that the promise of the Father in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 is actually the promise of the Holy Spirit. That all throughout the Old Testament, there has been this promise rumbling and rumbling that God would want to pour out His Spirit upon all humanity. And we realize that in the New Testament, that promise hinged. It was contingent upon... Calvary. So we realize that if we want Pentecost, we must come first to Calvary. You remember that? The next week we talked about receiving the promise of the Spirit. Okay, so what are the conditions? What, it, it, we know that we cannot buy the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is not a commodity to trade and bargain for. No. But He is a promise upon whom there are conditions that make us ready to receive Him. So we began to explore that. What are the conditions that actually make our hearts ready to receive the Holy Spirit? We've talked about three, and we were going to continue that list today. Those three, I don't know if you remember these. The first one was Amen. repentance. Amen. All right. <laughs> repentance. Repentance. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32, Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, you and your household. And so repentance, this, this desire to be so emptied of self and sin that all that we are filled of is God himself. Repentance was the first condition. Faith was the next condition. And obedience was the third condition. Okay, realizing that, look, we are not just praying for the power of God. We are also praying for the character of God. Do you realize that there's a danger in seeking the power of God without seeking his character? Do you know that the first person who ever did that, his name was Lucifer. He sought the power of God without seeking the character of God. And so we're seeking repentance. We're seeking faith. We're seeking true obedience that we would be fit vessels to be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15. And so here we are. We're talking more. What are the other conditions? What makes us ready To receive the Holy Spirit. We've already read it in our scripture reading. Maybe you observed it. And it's simply to ask. Simply to ask. But there's more than this. We want to study this passage together. So if you're in Luke chapter 11, please say amen. Amen. All right, we're in Luke chapter 11. We're going to zero in on a few passages, or a few verses in this passage. But I want us just to take note of where we are. At the beginning of Luke chapter 11, in verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass as he, who is he? Jesus. Okay, as Jesus was praying in a certain place when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I want you to picture this. Here is Jesus, as he so often is pictured, alone in prayer. And it just so happens that the disciples come upon Jesus during these, one of these solitude times that Jesus is having. And in the book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, it says that that the disciples came upon him and and Jesus seemed to be unconscious of their presence. So he began to pray aloud. And as the disciples heard Jesus praying, they wanted the same experience he had with the Father. They longed for that. And so here comes this plea, Lord, teach us to pray like that. And out of that, Jesus goes ahead and he explains to them the Lord's Prayer, probably for the second time. He doesn't give them some, something new, something flashy. He gives them something very simple and practical. And as he's continuing this, this teaching that is answering their question, how can I pray like you? Notice this parable that comes right after the Lord's Prayer. Verse 5, go to verse 5, Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, "Friend, lend me three loaves"? How many of you have good friends like that, that you can call up at any time in the night, uh, text, you can knock on their door, whatever it is? Uh, I hope you have friends like that. I actually have a friend here who thinks of me like that, and sometimes I wish he didn't. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) But but, uh, every now and then, every now and then, he'll send me. A test text message at some odd hour in the evening. He's he's like, I just wanted to see if anybody would respond. (laughs) Anyways, okay, so here it is. Jesus is explaining this this parable. He says, which of you shall have a friend like that? And you go to him at midnight because, it says, friend, lend me three loaves. Verse 6, here's the rationale. Here's the reason behind the request. Notice, very unique. Verse 6, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey... And I have nothing to set before him. A couple of things I want us to notice before we move on. There's a word that repeats two times already in these verses. Did you catch it? Friend. Did you notice that when Jesus is explaining prayer, he does it in the context of a friendship? He doesn't do it in a context of master-servant. He does it in a context of friend. And so, a friend is going to another friend (laughs) because his friend has come to him at midnight. Apparently, it was popular to travel when the sun was down because back in in a hot climate, that would be a much more comfortable ride. And so this friend comes to him at midnight. In verse 6, a friend has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So here is friend number one going to his friend in in a house knocks on his door, asks for some bread, but who is the friend asking for? His other friend. He's not asking for himself, and here Jesus is explaining something that disciples are supposed to catch on. What is prayer all about? And in verse 7, let's keep going, verse 7, and he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. (laughs) The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Uh Uh-oh. This kind of friend, maybe he's not as good a friend as the the first individual thought. Uh, Back in the day, the houses were relatively small. I don't know how many of you have small children, and when you hear the doorbell ring after the kids have gone to bed, is that good news or bad news? (laughs) For the people inside the house, oh, (laughs) right? But those houses apparently were much smaller, actually. They probably all shared one single room. And so for the father to actually go and unbolt the door, he may have had to climb over his kids, you know, ratcheting some things, you know, dropping things on the ground, whatever. I don't know. So it would have been a large inconvenience. And in verse 8, the Bible says, Jesus is explaining. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, that's what the New King James says. Does yours have a different word? What does it say? Because of his importunity, if you have the King James, okay. Any other word there? In the NIV, I think it says shameless. Okay, shameless persistence. Okay, here the word is actually, it's not persistence in the sense of uh, emphasizing the endurance of it. It's persistence emphasizing the embarrassment of it. In other words, you could translate this as he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his gall, because of his audacity, because of his complete disregard for embarrassing anyone or himself, he will rise and give him not just three, but as many as he needs. Powerful, powerful illustration. And again, Jesus is answering the question, how can we pray like you? And he illustrates it. It's like going to a friend because you have another friend that has such a great need and you have no ability to meet that need. And so you're going to the one who can. You're asking to give. And then he goes on, speaking about asking. Verse nine, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. These are familiar words maybe to some of us. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now notice, Jesus doesn't just couch the prayer relationship in terms of friendship. Notice now in verse 11, he's turning it to an even more intimate relationship. If a son asks for bread from any what? Father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? No, right? Obviously not. Because a father longs to make sure that his kids are taken care of. And in verse 13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly, what's the next word? How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Maybe you've heard that verse before. In verse 13, actually, if you compare it, you can write this one down, compare it to Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. Essentially verbatim, essentially the same, except what Matthew says is, If you then, being being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? But here, instead of saying just how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask, the emphasis is how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Okay, so here we are. We're talking about conditions. Conditions that make us ready to receive the Holy Spirit. And here, if we're wanting to round out that list that we started a couple weeks ago, the condition to receiving the Holy Spirit is that you and I, ask. You and I must ask. Does that sound too elementary? (laughs) Wait wait, wait a minute. All we have to do is ask. But I want us to notice something, because there's something, just in these surrounding verses, there's something very deep and significant. First of all, when you look at verse 13, it says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father Will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? When it comes to praying for the Holy Spirit, there's a who question that needs to be answered. Who is it that we are asking? We are not asking just a master. We're not asking just an idea. We're not asking just a venging machine. We're asking a Father. We're asking a Father. And maybe some of you, maybe some of you have felt frustrated with your prayer life. Friends, today, would you please be assured that you are praying to a father who has your best interest in mind. And this is a father who delights, who is pleased to hear you call him Daddy, to hear you call him Papa, to hear you reach out and hold his finger as you cross the street, This is a Father who wants to give you good gifts. Now, we're praying to the Father, but it's not just that we're praying for good gifts. We're praying for the Holy Spirit. This is essential to understand. The reality is that sometimes in our our, uh, most earnest prayers, if you were to review just how you've been praying the last three weeks, Maybe you would see a lot of things on that list, a lot of circumstances on that list. But on that list, how often are we praying, not just for things, but the person of the Holy Spirit? Is that that a fair question to ask? (laughs) How deeply do we sense the fact that we need the Holy Spirit? And maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. We feel such pressing need for this, that and the other, but very often we do not feel the need for the Holy Spirit. And so while asking for things is not inappropriate, that's not what I'm suggesting at all. No, no, no. Because the Bible says, hey, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you, right? Uh, I think it's First Peter 5, 6. You can write that one down if you need to. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication make your request known to God. So we can lay our burdens before, we can pray about things. But let us not neglect that our deepest need is not just for more things or different things, but our deepest need is for the Holy Spirit. Do we understand that the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts means Christ lives in me? Do we understand that when I pray for the Holy Spirit, I'm actually praying That I would have a new heart and new mind. That I would not just be a partaker of the old nature, but a partaker of the divine nature. That is our deepest need. That is our deepest need. And very often, uh, that's something that we neglect, the who of what we're praying for. And so I want us to note something. The the very times that we are asking for this, the reality is that if, if the indwelling of the Spirit really is our ultimate desire, then we've got to be honest. We've got to be honest about whether or not we've been meeting the conditions for receiving the Spirit. Sure, we're asking for the Spirit, but what about the other conditions? What about the repentance? What about the faith? What about the obedience? And here's the thing. Very often we are quick, God, please give us the Holy Spirit. And I've said it already, but we're seeking the power without His character. So when we're asking for the Spirit, this causes us to put in check what our motives are, what our deep needs are. The reality is that a lot of times, uh, a lot of times we are living out of harmony with the counsels of God's plain word, yet we're expecting him to fulfill his promises anyway. Is that possible? Is it possible that we come to God saying, God, give me this. You said you would give me this. And yet, in our lives, we're living out of harmony completely with some specific counsel here or there. Now, what, what is the sense of that? You know, <laughs> Maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's neglect, maybe it's ignorance, but a lot of times we do this and, and we get frustrated that God isn't answering us. What's up with that, God? You know, I was reading a book, Christ's Object Lessons, Um, That, in pages 143 to 144, you can write that down if you want. Christ's Object Lessons, pages 143 to 144. The the author, Ellen White, is getting very, very specific about some of these issues in which we are not uh, allowing God the room to fill our lives. And see, if we're consciously living out of harmony with God's word, we're actually presenting to God, essentially we're presenting to God his promises and asking him to fulfill them when by doing so he would actually dishonor his name. Friends, friends, let's ask for the Holy Spirit but know who we're really asking for. That when we're asking for the Holy Spirit, we're not just asking for the power of God, we're actually asking for the character of God and the nature of God to actually change and transform our lives. Praise God. Praise God. Okay, so we're talking about this, that when we pray for not just good gifts, but we pray for the best gift, then we're actually laying ourselves out before God and saying, have thine own way. Let your Holy Spirit have absolute sway. Now, I want us to see this because now we're going to just kind of backtrack through the verses that we just read. Starting in verse 13, we see that, okay, when we're praying, it's who we're praying to, we're praying to the Father, who actually delights to give us good things. We're praying for not just a thing, but we're praying for a person, the Holy Spirit. Now in verses, uh, excuse me, in verses 9 to 10, notice exactly what Jesus is instructing. Here is the how, okay? So so if verses 11 to 13 show us the who of prayer, 9 to 10 shows us the how. It says, Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Very interesting thing about these instructions, these imperatives, these commands. It's in a Greek form that does not reference a one-time asking. There are certain ways that the Greek can actually say, all right, just ask this once, and you'll be done. But that's not the form of the Greek verb right here. Instead, the implication is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Do you understand that when we are praying for the Holy Spirit, it is not just a one-time deal. It is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day, ongoing plead with God. Ask. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Now, the other question is, why does Jesus use three different verbs to kind of communicate the same idea? Ask, seek, knock. By the way, if you're trying to remember those verbs, it's A-S-K. Ask. Ask. Seek, knock. Notice the progression. It goes from asking, which is just kind of like a request. It's an inquiry, right? But asking is different from seeking because now that inquiry is active. (laughs) I'm actually going to research a little bit. I'm gonna, uh, it, it steps it up a notch. Do you understand that? Yeah, and then when you go from seeking to knocking, Now it's a little bit audible, that that active search. You're actually going to someone's door with the expectation that the barrier will be removed, that entrance will be given, that admittance is yours. So that request turns into a search. That search turns into an expectation, a demand. (laughs) Ask, seek, knock. So when we're praying for the Holy Spirit, it's not a one-time thing, but it's an ongoing reality in our lives. And when we're praying in this ongoing way, we're actually praying in a continually intensifying way, that it progresses, it gets stronger and deeper. The more we pray for the Holy Spirit, the more we'll sense our need for the Spirit. And so we ask, and we seek, and we knock, this is the how. Now some might say, actually, I don't know, maybe you've asked this question because I was asking this question a while back. Why is it that if the Father is so willing to give us the Holy Spirit, why does He require us to ask and seek and knock? Doesn't He want to give us anyway? Why doesn't He just shower us with the Holy Spirit in the first place? I don't know, maybe that's a nonsensical question. But I, as I was thinking about this, the reality is that our, our asking our seeking, our knocking, it's not to convince God. It's not to persuade Him because He's already willing. Our continual asking that turns into continual seeking, that turns into continual knocking, it's to make us more ready to receive. It strengthens the earnestness of our desire. Because here's the thing, how many of you... uh, if, if, if there's something that you really don't care about, are you going to keep asking? When was the last time that you persistently asked for your shoelaces to be tied? Right? When was the last time that you persistently and unashamedly asked that, hey, I want that parking space back, I want that parking space, no, 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 no. come on. <laughs> right? The things that we don't care about, sure, we might ask, but if it doesn't happen, but it's those things that we deeply need. It's those things that we can't live without that we will ask, seek, and knock. And so it's not that God needs to be convinced that we need the Holy Spirit. It's that we need to be ready to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here we are. We're praying for the Holy Spirit because there's a God who wants to get there's a Father, I should say, a Father who delights to give us a spirit. We're, we're praying in such a way that we're, we're doing it on, in, a, in a persistent way, in an ongoing fashion, and an intensifying way, not because he needs to be convinced, but because we need to be willing. Okay, but now, when you back up a little, we're just kind of backtracking here. Now let's talk about this parable. This parable in verses 5 to 8. The punchline, the punchline, obviously, it was that gall, right? It was that, that, that shameless, that persistence, that audacity. But the reality is that I've found to be so compelling here is that what makes this friend so unashamed in asking is that he is not asking for himself. Let's think about this. This friend is looking for bread but it's not to feed his own need. It's to satisfy the need of someone else. And this tells me something. That if, if any of us, if, if any of you are like me, and you have struggled with persistent asking, with ongoing prayer, if you have struggled with this, maybe it's because, like me, you realized, I've been asking for myself. Maybe the thing that will cause us to truly ask, seek, and knock is when we finally come to recognize that there are others who are in deeper need than me. (laughs) That there's someone who has come to my door and they need bread and I don't have a thing to offer them. So I need to go to someone who can. I need that bread. Not for me. I'm asking because they need it. And I will not go back home until you bless me. You've seen people like this. You've seen people throughout Scripture. You've seen people throughout Scripture who will plead with God. Jacob wrestled with God all night. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Elijah prayed with his head in his knees until the rain fell down. And here, this friend is asking, I need bread. I don't have what it takes. But you do. I don't have what it takes, but you do. Have you ever been in that spot? Someone has come to your door. You encounter someone. You realize they have a deep spiritual need. You realize that they that they're that they're without bread. You have no idea what to do. How can I meet that need? You have a loved one, you have a friend that you long for their salvation. And you're thinking to yourself, how can I possibly be of use to God in this individual situation? And what do you do? You can't do anything but pray. And you pray and you pray. And here's the individual. He's seeking, I'm sorry, he's asking, seeking, knocking with that kind of persistence because he's driven by a need of someone else. And so maybe you're like me and you've struggled with this persistent asking, this persistent knocking, this persistent plea for the Holy Spirit. God, this is getting routine. God, this is getting tiring. Well, maybe it's because all of that pleading has been for me and not for someone else. And here, the disciples, they're being taught how to pray. Friends, the reality is that when we truly ask, when we truly seek and when we truly knock, it comes down to being able to ask for someone else. And so, you know, we talked about this at the beginning, the condition for the Holy Spirit is that we pray. Well, maybe the secondary condition is that we have a burden for someone else that drives us to pray. And so I wonder if, if the floodgates of the Holy Spirit's entrance into our lives is stopped up because we are so concerned about our own needs that we forget that there are friends who are without bread. But when we come to a point where we realize, ah, oh, there's a burden here that I have, I have to meet, but I can't. When we come to that point, friends, and when that causes us to, our, when that drives us to our knees, the Holy Spirit is not far behind. Are we following today, yes or no? Uh, Several weeks ago, like I said, this is just a continuation, conditions for receiving the Holy Spirit. We talked about repentance, asking to be so emptied of self and so filled with God. We talked about faith, having the implicit trust that what God promised to do, he is able to perform. We talked about obedience, being, being in harmony with the counsels of God, actually demonstrating our loyalty to God through practical living, practical obedience. And here now we are asking but maybe that asking is contingent upon the fact that we have a burden for someone else's salvation. In other words, when we're praying for the Holy Spirit, we're praying to be used by God. <laughs> to pray for the Holy Spirit for any other reason, maybe it would be, Maybe I'm too bold to say that it would, it's selfish. If we're praying for the Holy Spirit for any other reason, Sure, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to transform my character, but really, it's not just so that you can be more holy. It's so that someone else can see the character of Jesus. I'm praying for the Holy Spirit so I can be equipped for this ministry. Sure, yeah, you want to do a good job, but you want to do a good job so that people can fall in love with Jesus. So when we're burdened with someone's salvation, that is what causes us to pray. That is what causes us to ask, seek, and knock I need bread for someone else. I was, real, I was studying this passage just the last three weeks, just, man, how, how, what is the depth of this? And when I realized that, that all of this conversation started in verse 1, with the disciples coming upon Jesus while he was in silent prayer, as the disciples came and, and, and maybe were so impressed with how Jesus prayed, I began to realize, began to realize that, that this whole teaching about prayer, about praying because of someone else's need, about asking, seeking, and knocking, about being so assured that the Father would give the Holy Spirit, I began to realize that all of this started with the question, Jesus teaches how to pray. In other words, Jesus, how do you pray? Which means that this is how Jesus prays. He prays. Because there are souls that need salvation. You know, in in Luke chapter 3, there's a picture of Jesus coming out of the waters of baptism. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. It says, he came up out of the waters, and it says, while he was praying, the heavens opened. Have you ever wondered what Jesus was praying about after he got baptized? Have you ever wondered that? In Desire of Ages, she says that he was so burdened with the unbelief that he would have to face. He was so burdened by the the deep fallenness of humanity that he lifted up his petition to heaven. And she says that the angels had never heard such a prayer because here was someone who was so weighted with the salvation of souls that he was piercing the skies with his prayer, I need bread. And so when he's teaching this parable about this friend who goes to a friend at midnight, could it be that that's how Jesus sees his own prayer life with God? Oh God, this guy, Peter, James, John, man, they are so lost. (laughs) They have no bread at all. Father, please, what do I have for them? What what do you have for them? What can I give them? In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, there's a messianic prophecy. Maybe you've read it before. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I might know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. It's a prophecy about Jesus' life. That every time Jesus needed a word, he would go to the Father. uh, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I might know how to speak to him who is weary. But the very next phrase, it shows us how he got that word. He wakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Have you ever wondered, how did Jesus know to say that right then? Man, he is so clever. He is so, ah, Could it be it's because he spent hours in prayer asking for bread to give to those who had none? And this is Jesus, who is so driven by the salvation of souls that he, pray- he spent whole nights in prayer, agonized in prayer. His whole life was, was, was characterized by prayer. Even to the end of it, while he hung on the cross, he even prayed for you and me. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Friends, do you know that Jesus is even now praying for you? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, he ever lives to make intercession for us. My paraphrase, that's what he lives for, to pray for you. Jesus. If you feel like you're off the radar screen, if you feel like you're dangling over here, no one has a single care for you. Jesus is praying for you. And some might say, oh, but that's just Jesus. I mean, only Jesus can pray like that. Come on. Well, wait a minute. Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray now. And do you realize that the disciples eventually learned how to pray like that. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, after the disciples had 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 40 days with Jesus, post-resurrection, post-grave, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says that they saw, uh, you know, in verses 9 through 13, it says that they saw Jesus ascend into heavens, and they, they went back to Jerusalem with great joy, and in verse 14, it says, they continued steadfastly in prayer. Actually, I should say, they continued steadfastly in prayer in one accord. So it wasn't just that they went to their own rooms and said, okay, guys, see you later. I'm going to pray. No, they were praying together. They were praying together. Ten days later, what happens? Ten days later, there's an event in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When Pentecost was fully come, the Holy Spirit baptized them. So it wasn't just Jesus that learned how to pray like this. The disciples actually prayed like this. In fact, in the book, Acts of the Apostles, as as she's describing what they were praying like, can I just read this? Oh man, this is powerful. You ready for this? This is Acts of the Apostles, page 37. It says this, The disciples prayed with intense earnestness for a fitness to meet men and in their daily intercourse to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. You know, there aren't very many prayers recorded in scripture of the disciples. But as you see these pictures of the disciples praying together, you wonder, what are they praying for? The last time, remember, we talked about this the other day. uh, John, the last time he thought of the Samaritans, John's prayer was, well, should I pray that fire come down and destroy them? (laughs) No. But here now, the disciples are praying with an intense earnestness for a fitness to meet men. Next paragraph says, These days of preparation were days of deep heart searching. The disciples felt their spiritual need and cried to the Lord for the holy unction that was to fit them for the work of soul saving. When was the last time you cried to the Lord? Cried to the Lord, not just because your, your wallet was empty, not to say that that's not important, but cried to the Lord for the salvation of some soul. Since they did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely, they were weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. They realized that the gospel was to be carried to the world, and they claimed the power that Christ had promised. Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) And this is just evidence that the prayer life of Jesus became the prayer life. Of the disciples. Sometimes I wonder, man, can I can I even come close to spending whole nights in prayer, even wanting to spend whole nights in prayer? Can can I even come close to feeling that agony uh, of wait for the salvation of souls? Friends, apparently the disciples were led to that. They had prayed so earnestly for the fitness to meet men in their need that ten days later the Holy Spirit empowered them. The conditions were fulfilled. You read that whole description there in Acts of the Apostles. The conditions were, they were filled with repentance. They confessed their unbelief. They they, they made right, they made wrongs right. They reconciled with one another. They they had implicit faith. They completely obeyed. They, They were praying and they were praying because they wanted to save some souls. They were weighted with that burden. So here we are. Conditions for receiving the Spirit. The Spirit, bottom line, Spirit is given to those who ask. The Spirit is given to those who ask. But maybe today, like me, you're confronted with your prayerlessness. Is that a word? (laughs) Prayerlessness. Maybe you've been confronted with the fact that you don't really ask, seek, and knock 10 days ago, I was so, I was at this point, like, after the first, you know, our 10 days of prayer in January, I was so impassioned. I was like, God, this is such an awesome experience. I want to pray more. I want to pray more, but it wasn't just days later until that desire seemed to be sapped out of me. The devil seemed to know how to push whatever buttons, throw whatever stones and darts, etc., and etc., cetera, et cetera, to just kind of quench any spiritual fervor. And so it was just about 10 days ago, I said, God, I want to pray. Please make me want to pray. (laughs) So 10 days ago, I I asked God to do something very radical, and I simply asked him to give me more time in prayer, more time in prayer than I'd ever spent. And 10 days ago, I asked him to wake me up at a certain time, and he did. (laughs) And the next day, he did. I said, okay, God, for 10 days I'm doing this. (laughs) The next day, he did. When it came to day nine, I got to bed late. But he still woke me up two and a half hours earlier than I normally would have woken up. But it was still late. When we want to pray, God will give you the desire to pray. You want to make the time, you don't feel like you have the time, God will give you the time if you really want it. And the reality is that we won't want it until we've had a burden of the weight of someone's salvation. So, today, is there someone in your life who needs bread? Is there someone who has come to your door who needs something? Maybe the second question is this: Are you a friend enough to care enough to go get bread? Maybe, maybe this is a heart-searching question because we realize uh, maybe I don't care enough, but I want to. Is anybody in that boat? <laughs> I realize. Okay. Maybe my burden is not as great as what the disciples were experiencing during those 10 days. Maybe my burden is not so great as Jesus was coming up out of the waters of baptism. But Lord, I want that burden. Does anybody desire that burden? Amen. The promise of Philippians 2, verse 13. God works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, God will work in you to want it and to do it. So here's the take-home challenge. You heard, you heard our elder, you heard Joe talk about the fact that on March 1, we're kicking off something called 40 days of prayer. It will be an opportunity to actually act upon this desire to pray, to pray, to pray. Now, we're not going to get together every night for 40 days straight. No, that's not the idea. But we will find prayer partners that we will call up every day for 40 days. We're going to pray together specifically for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to be praying for, those 40 days. We'll have a book. We'll be going through some readings together. We'll be calling each other up. And then on a weekly basis, once a week, we'll have checkpoints for small groups to get together. Checkpoints. How are things going? Let's encourage one another. Checkpoints. And so that's what those 40 days are going to be like. We're going to be praying for the Holy Spirit. We're going to be asking. But before then, before March 1, in these next two weeks, here's the take-home challenge. Not just to pray for the Holy Spirit, but to pray for the burden of the salvation of souls. I'm carving it out the next two weeks. I'm going to keep asking God. The, the 10 days that I made a deal with, uh, they're over. But I'm going to keep asking God that He would wake me up even earlier to give me. to give me that time, to give me that opportunity to actually be weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. So I don't know what it's going to be for you. I don't know. Maybe you're going to ask God to wake you up a little bit earlier. Maybe you're just going to cut something out of your schedule that you really don't need, and that'll open up some more free time for you to pray, to seek God, to ask him for a burden for souls. But will you? This is the, this is the appeal Will you do it for the next two weeks till the end of February? Will you make it a matter of daily prayer? God, give me a burden for the salvation of souls. So that with that burden, it would be the next natural thing to ask, seek, and knock. Who's in? Will you take time? Go ahead. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see. Because when God burdens you with the weight and you realize that they need bread and you realize that your pockets are empty. Your pantry is empty. I didn't go to Costco. (laughs) So I'm going to the Father. He delights to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Here's what we're going to do. I want us to bow our heads together. We're going to start with a silent time of prayer. That you would pray. Uh, Maybe there are specific names that you know need bread, but you don't have a, a deep, impassioned burden for them. And so maybe there are neighbors that you know need bread, but you don't, you don't even know their name. You just know that they need bread. And you need a burden for them too. So let's bow our heads, silent time of prayer, asking God to give us this burden. God, when you went to the cross, you sent your only son, your only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, what kind of burden drove you to send your son as a gift to us? Jesus, what what kind of burden drove you to remain upon that cross, though you could have called legions of angels down? God, that's the kind of burden that we long to experience so that we, too, can be filled with the Spirit. Father, this next week or two, we're wanting to set aside specific time, and maybe we haven't thought yet of that specific time or how much specific time. But God, I pray that you would be the one to instruct us if you are giving us an idea, go ahead and, and even give us very specific uh, time, duration, even people to tell so that they can keep us accountable. Cause us to write it down, put it on our mirror, in the bathroom, whatever. Lord, even if we need to set alarms on our phone, do whatever it takes to cause us to meet this, this commitment. Thank you, Father, for the fact that this is a desire you want to work in our hearts. Thank you, God, that it is your desire to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, lead us to the place where we desperately need the Holy Spirit. I thank you in advance for the ways that lives will not just be changed, but eternally secured in your kingdom. And Lord, if you can use anything, please use us. This is our prayer In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, amen. Amen. All right. As you go out through this lobby, you'll find a a blue table with a clipboard. And if you would like to be part of the 40 days of prayer, go ahead and put your names on that sign-up sheet, and we'll make sure to order some material for that. Um, Thank you, friends. Blessings to you.